What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And in this episode, we're going deep into the frigid mountains of Europe to disrupt the plans of four family lords and their witch in my review of Resident Evil Village. Before we get into the details of this game's story, let's take a minute to check out some interesting facts that you may not have known about about the game and its developer in The Breakdown. The Resident Evil franchise has been around now for 25 years, celebrating that anniversary in this current calendar year of 2021. And since the release of that original Resident Evil title on the original PlayStation in 1996, every mainline Resident Evil title in the series has released as a third-person perspective game up until the release of Resident Evil 7 in 2017. Now, believe it or not, that original Resident Evil game on PlayStation originally began its concept as a first-person perspective title. The development team cited the reason for moving away from that perspective as technical limitations and hardware limitations. And i got to be honest with you, I am very glad that that was the case because I cannot even imagine how Resident Evil would have been and how different it would have been had it started out on the original PlayStation as a first-person title. Now let's go check out the story for Resident Evil Village. When looking at the story of Resident Evil Village, it does take place almost four years after the events of Resident Evil 7. And since then, series main protagonist Ethan Winters and his wife Mia, they tried to move on with their lives and pass those horrors experienced at that Baker estate even adhering to series favorite Chris Redfield's recommendation that they move to Europe to better protect themselves. Now, at the beginning of Village, we do find that they've actually recently had born into the world a daughter whom they named Rose. And after a really cool animated opening from the story in the Village of Shadows book that we see throughout the course of the game, we do see that there is a brief, warm family opening sequence but it very quickly turns to chaos when Chris Redfield and his Hound Wolf Squad burst into the winner's home, kill Mia, incapacitate Ethan, and take Rose, who was apparently the target objective all along. Now, after Ethan wakes up in a transport vehicle that's part of a convoy, very quickly this convoy is attacked, and pretty much everybody killed except for Ethan, who is left for dead. Now, at this point, Ethan makes his way through the cold wilderness in the dark to happen upon the star of the game, the village, in the title. Now, I say the star of the game because there's just so much richness to this village and classic RE lore and just really, honestly, an interesting history that you can discover throughout your playtime. And as Ethan explores this village, he really begins to figure out what happened here to cause the village to be seemingly abandoned outside of a few people here or there, and honestly, the rest of the villagers that are still there in form of body 
are now turned into lichens, or better known as werewolves. Now, the story is told through minimal NPC interactions, a few cutscenes here or there throughout the game, but the bulk of the story progression, in my opinion, that backstory, that lore, the explanation of what this location is all about, and everything that's going on that led up to the events that we are now partaking of, they're pretty much communicated through documents, journals, and audio recordings that you're going to find on your journey throughout the village. Now, the village area is offset by four distinct areas, and they are each presided over, each area that is, by a very unique individual or lord, as they're called, in the game. And each one of these lords and locations has their own backstory to discover, and I absolutely loved finding out the details of these characters and the locations that just kind of told their own stories just by their architecture that you go through or or the foliage and different just images that you see as you pass through these different areas. To run through these areas real quickly, you do have the heavily advertised Castle Dimitrescu, which is overseen by the equally marketed Lady Dimitrescu and her three daughters, the four of which seem to be vampires. The poppy fields and creepy gardens, they lead to a manor owned by the Beneviento family, known for their doll-making prowess. Third area is the reservoir and its surrounding marshlands and mills, and they are lorded over by Moreau, kind of acting as his experimental playground, allowing him to try these horrifying experiments of blending humans with animals and all kinds of other sick, macabre things. And the final location is... It's a pathway through the Forbidden Forest, which leads to the final lord, Carl Heisenberg, and his multi-level factory, where the lines between man and machine are extremely blurry. Now, in addition to these four lords and their areas of ownership, the actual head of state, so to speak, in this land is a woman known as Mother Miranda. And as you explore her village, she seems to be this religious figure that's there for the villagers, but also someone who's very much involved with what's going on around here as far as the guiding force behind everything that these lords do, and ultimately appears to be very heavily involved in witchcraft. Now, her backstory is also pieced together in all the areas that you explore, and it really gives us an explanation as to why everything's happening to begin with. The whole reason why we are here and what's going on is all tied back into these four lords and Mother Miranda. And it was a lot of fun slowly digesting all the different details as they were drip-fed to us throughout the course of the game. Now, I did feel the way the story was delivered in the means above, was serviceable and done well enough for the most part. I did always feel I had a firm grasp on what was going on in that overarching story and continuously felt well informed about each area and each new character introduced. Now, I did also appreciate that once I left the Lord's area, I felt satisfied in knowing their backstory, where they started out in this village, what their relation was to Mother Miranda, and what their motivations were individually for the actions that they were committing before and during the timing of the game. Now, the faceless and oftentimes nameless villagers that you come across throughout the course of your playtime, they actually also left some interesting stories to be read within their homes and around the different lands surrounding the village. And I really appreciated that. I thought it gave a lot of depth to what could have just been some background noise, really, if you think about it. Now, there were a couple of surprises as far as story is concerned, but 
there were also some things that were pretty cliche and, and that I expected and saw coming. Some things, honestly, from a mile away, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. Now, there is one major surprise that I really enjoyed towards the end of the game, and it was, uh, wow, it really caught me off guard. I did not see that one coming. And speaking of the ending, I did feel it was done exceptionally well and closed the book, pun intended, on a few things that they were introducing in Resident Evil 7 from a story, character, and background lore aspect. Now, I will say overall, the story held my interest from start to finish in this game, and I was always curious to find out what the next explanation and background on these characters were, the village, the location, what was going on, why are we here, what does this have to do with previous Resident Evil lore, how does it tie into that lore, what is up with that umbrella symbol that we saw in the trailer, and how does it fit in, how are they going to explain that, what is Umbrella doing here, are they here, all these questions and more were pretty well answered, in my opinion, throughout the course of this game. I did enjoy also this game's story more than what Seven had going on in its story, if you were to have me compare those two. And series regular Chris Redfield does have some interesting intersecting points of story throughout as well, and they were all meaningful moments that I appreciated, not just there for the sake of a cameo. And that was what I personally was worried about when you watch a lot of these trailers they release for the game is, oh, are they really just going to have him in there as a familiar name or face from the series to, hey, this is how we tie this game into the rest of the series. Thankfully, that was not the case. And one of my favorite things about this story was that I felt it was really, honestly, more intimate and more personal with Ethan as a main character. I loved what they did with his character in this game. Now, yes, in 7, you could say it's definitely personal because his wife was kidnapped, possessed, uh, and, and that's definitely personal. But in this game, in the opening, think about it. His wife's murdered in front of him and his daughter is kidnapped. I would definitely say that that is a little bit escalated from what we saw in Resident Evil 7. But I also felt that his character arc and growth from 7 and the character that he was in that game to where he ended up by the end of this game was absolutely phenomenal. Capcom did a great job. I never believed that I would appreciate this character of Ethan Winters at the end of this game or by the end of this game as much as I do in the context of main series characters in the Resident Evil franchise. So in regards to story, I really did feel that Village knocked it out the park. Now let's go check out the game's graphics and sound. Moving on to graphics and sound, let me just say that I was playing this game on a PlayStation 5, so to put in perspective the kind of visuals that I was looking at. So to start out with, I will start with the character models. And let me just say that both main characters and NPC models are extremely well done. They are extremely detailed. They move realistically. The lip syncing is perfectly done. The facial expressions of anger, fear, and happiness, everything just plays out great. The clothing and the movement of clothing animations, everything you can hope for and good character animation within a game is top-notch in Resident Evil Village. Your enemy types, those are also extremely well-detailed and uniquely designed, and each enemy type, it really feels distinct both in their design and their functionality. 
And what I mean by that is every enemy type has a different facial expression. Each enemy type feels different in their movements and their attack patterns. You look at the lichens or werewolves, their animalistic ferocity and their speed is absolutely terrifying and unnerving when you're playing this game. I'm telling you, if you are stuck inside of a, a cabin in the village and you got werewolves closing in around you and running by your window and trying to break down the barricade at the door, it's terrifying. And especially when you get out in the open with them and they are just sprinting right at you and get right up in your face. Oh, it's intense. There's ghouls is what I call them as they're kind of slow lumbering zombie-like and they stretch their mouths and they just look all distorted and just greatly detailed and grotesque. And oh, I could go on for, for a very long time, gamers, and I'm not going to do that to you. Bottom line is you get the idea. Character enemy types, all of them, they are extremely well detailed in this game. Now, when we talk about environments and environmental graphics and visual fidelity, those environments are also extremely well detailed and uniquely designed. But I will say I did feel there is a certain sense of inconsistency within the graphical quality of the environments. So what do I mean? All right, so... Some of the areas in their houses, they were extremely detailed, while other areas, they seemed to be more muted and had somewhat of a smudge look to them. I, the only way I know how to describe it is you look at these dark browns and different mud kind of colors and certain areas of the village, they looked very smudged. Other areas, there were deep depressions and wheel marks or footprints within the mud and the way the snow tracked looked great. But then you turn a corner and there's a different area of the village and it just didn't look right. Or the detail of the trees and the foliage. Some areas it would look lush and beautiful, but other areas you could see the cutout stenciled look of the different types of crisscrossing that they use in game design for the bushes. So it was certain things like that that disappointed me somewhat with the environment. But overall, if you're looking at it from a broad perspective, the environments were really well done. The lighting was great. The water was great. Uh, but I really feel that the interior environments are where this game really shined and ramped up that intricacy with the details. The decorations on the walls, on the tables, and especially what baffled me were the seemingly unimportant village houses and shacks that lined the village. You just go into a random house and this house is beautifully detailed on the inside and set up with a perfect little fridge and a dining room table and curtains and plates on the wall as decor. And it just it baffled me the amount of detail, the level of detail that Capcom went to in furnishing these little village homes. And especially when you get to Castle Dimitrescu, we can't talk about interior environments and graphical fidelity without talking about the interior of Castle Dimitrescu. And it was here where lighting really shone through and the chandeliers that lit the Castle Dimitrescu walls and the ceiling of the foyer areas or your flashlight that plays off the environment as you're going through these tight corridors, some of these little hidden rooms and hallways and different areas you can find as you're exploring the castle. All of these aspects worked really, really well. Just overall, I felt that the lighting was also really well done. It just whether it was the natural lighting from the sun on the outside in the exterior environments or those candles and chandeliers that lit and lined the hallways of Castle Dimitrescu, your flashlight, it didn't matter. Lighting was really well done within this game. But I really felt that the best use of lighting was in Heisenberg's factory 
and how it played off of the steam and the different fog effects and just seemingly playing games with shadows on the walls and enemies and the way it really messed with the intensity and terror and tension that build when you see the different shadows around the corner and is this thing actually alive or is this just something else that makes a shadow to mess with me or ah, oh, it was just really really expertly done within Heisenberg's factory. Now as far as audio I will say the music is the first thing you hear in this game and I felt that they nailed it. From the whimsical fantasy melodies that were introduced in the game's opening when you view the Village of Shadows storybook, to the haunting, tension-building sounds at all the right moments throughout this game, and finally, epic set-piece orchestral scores for boss fights, this game had it all, gamers, and it did it well, extremely well, musically. I will say the voice acting was really good in the game, but there were some rough lines of dialogue and some rough delivery on certain lines as well. Uh, there's, you know, just some, some cheesy dialogue every now and then, and it's not the greatest voice acting in some of these spots. Uh, I, I won't say that it's game-breaking, but Heisenberg really, unfortunately, because I like the character, but unfortunately, he was the weakest voice actor, in my opinion, which really sucked, because, like I said, I, I really liked this character and what he was about in the game, but every time you heard his voice, I just cringed. <sighs> Regardless, though, the rest of the voice acting, for the most part, was pretty top-notch. Uh, sound effects, overall, as far as closing out the audio aspect of things, they worked really well. You had twigs snapping and quick footsteps that run by you in the woods or in the village house as you're exploring it, as I mentioned earlier, when you have those werewolves kind of circling in on you. Absolutely terrifying. You get the breathing of those lichens and the sounds of them devouring their meals in a distance or their barks around the corner as you know that they're coming or they're near you, but you can't quite pinpoint yet where they are. Absolutely terrifying, and it really messed with me throughout the entire game. So great job, Capcom, because those lichens, every time they popped up throughout the course of my play, whoo, I was not happy. I was a nervous guy, nervous gamer here. Now, the rest of the enemy types, I did think they were well done, too. Audibly, uh, and the mechanical mixing with human functionality of Heisenberg's factory, that was actually really well done. And the basic sound effects just of movement, gunshots, reloads, environmental interactions, all the basic stuff, I thought they were spot on and sounded great, fit well within the context of the game. Overall, high caliber audio and visuals. But as far as a more specific look at audio, let's cut over real quick to see how these sounds come through if you're playing with the 3D Pulse headset on the PS5. Gamers, for perspective, let me just put out there that I did play the majority of this game with the 3D Pulse headset on. Now, I did also, because I wanted for comparative reasons to see what it sounded like, also play some of it via the soundbar that I have hooked up to my TV. So I do have some differences here for you in the sound range. But let me just say that 100%, without a doubt, the best way to play this game is with the headset. Now it does, as I stated earlier with the audio, you are trying to pinpoint where these different enemies are coming from and where the lichens are hiding at. It is extremely helpful having that 3D Pulse headset with the 3D spatial audio and helping you find out where these enemies are hiding, where the direction they're moving to you from, the movement in the grass. Absolutely amazing when it comes to doing that. Now, in general, when playing this kind of a game, a survival horror game, 
it just makes for a better, scarier horror experience. So if you're like me and you kind of like being scared and you like to have that more immersive, terrifying experience, then you got to play with the 3D Pulse headset. Now, the way I'm going to grade this experience and these segments going forward, anytime I review a game that's on the PS5 that I played with the 3D Pulse headset, I'm going to tell you about the 3D Pulse effect and how it affects the game. And the way I grade this is, does it have a massive effect or no pulse? So for this game, Resident Evil 8, I highly recommend playing with this or any headset, really. It's just going to only add to your overall experience and immersion that you have within the game. So absolutely, the 3D pulse effect, it has a massive effect on your play experience. Now let's go check out what I think of the game's controls. Gamers, when controlling Resident Evil 8 on the PlayStation 5, it's going to be from a dual analog, first-person control standpoint. So you got your left analog stick for character movement, your right's for camera. You're going to click and hold the left analog to sprint. The right analog is to click in and zoom on the map. Now your D-pad, that's basically your weapon shortcuts. Face buttons, you got X to interact, triangle to open your inventory, circle to cancel or back out of an option, and square to reload your gun. And that touchpad, it's going to bring up your map and your journal. You got L1 to guard, L2 to aim, R1 uses a healing item, and R2 to fire the gun or use your melee weapon. Now, in general, let me just say that I felt the game controlled extremely well, and character movement was extremely tight in a good way. Sometimes you can be too tight and too cumbersome, but in this game, I felt that the tight controls, it was a good kind of tight controls. The weapon swapping, I thought, was extremely fast and responsive, which is much needed in some of these crazy lichen battles that pop up throughout the course of the game managing your inventory it was very good except when it comes to overlapping items with the touchpad i felt that was way inconsistent with the way the game's controls otherwise were i will say that combat i thought felt great except for the melee it just felt a little wild and even aiming with l2 i really didn't feel like it was ideal now i get it i know that melee is kind of a last resort in this game as is most the case with most survival horror games but at the end of the day it's still an option and if you're trying to conserve ammo because it is survival horror which just fyi you probably won't really need to worry about too much in this game they do a great job of supplying you with a lot of ammo but bottom line is melee combat a little rough I also didn't really like holding in the left analog stick to sprint. I felt the base movement speed was mostly pretty good, and I would have preferred just to click the analog stick in instead of holding it in, because it makes it, at that point, then kind of cumbersome for your character movement to turn, and sometimes you're trying to sprint away from a lichen that's chasing you down, and they're pretty fast, and if you're trying to turn corners, maybe sometimes your thumb slips off of having the clicked in held down position and then you're now not sprinting and you're stopped on a dime and you're getting your face chawed off by a lichen so the only other thing i would really say is the item and environmental interaction was very solid no issues there uh, the camera sometimes wasn't as quick or responsive as i've liked it especially during boss fights but outside of these minor gripes really the game has pretty solid controls but when we talk about playing on the PlayStation 5, there is what I would like to call the dual sense difference. So let's go check out what that difference is in the context of playing Resident Evil 8. 
If you're like me, a self-professed controller freak, I love controllers. I have a slight obsession with them. And with the dual sense on the PS5, it has been escalated to a whole nother level. So going forward, any review I do that I play a game with the PS5 DualSense controller, I will be having a segment in that review to notate to you, the listener, the DualSense difference. What does it bring that other controllers out there cannot do? So with Resident Evil, the biggest difference for me was how the weapons felt. It was just absolutely amazing to me how differently each weapon felt from one another. You got the handgun that you hardly even feel anything when you're doing the triggers. The adaptive triggers, those haptic feedback adaptive triggers that are so amazing in every game you play on PS5. It was right there with every single change of the weapon, every time you reloaded the gun, or ready to aim the gun. There was a difference in feel in that gun, whether it was the shotgun, which was a very tough and, and gave more uh, resistance to your pull on the triggers, or if it was a sniper rifle scope, the way that it was just a little bit more jittery than it normally would be on anything else. It was just excellent the way that Capcom implemented the haptic feedback and adaptive triggers of the dual sense. Now, a few other tiny things for some people, but also a big deal for me, that light bar that goes around the perimeter of the touchpad I love the way in this game how it indicates your health. So obviously green is good, red is bad, and everything else in between. You got peach, yellow, orange, went all kinds of different colors in between green and red for me as I played and progressed throughout the game. But I loved it because guess what? I never had to look at the menu screen in my game. I just looked down at my controller and I knew if I needed to use a health remedy or not. I loved it. Now I will also say that in certain moments throughout the game, whether it was cutscenes or as you were traversing different types of terrain, whether it be snow or the different tiles of the Castle Dimitrescu, there was different vibrational functions within those adaptive triggers and it just added to that immersion that you got, especially when you're opening doors or different things are rumbling around you, explosions, all kinds of different things that were just little subtle moments that added to that immersion that was possible with that haptic feedback on the dual sense and its adaptive triggers. So, when it comes to Resident Evil 8, is there a dual sense difference? Absolutely, and it is the reason why I chose to purchase the game on PS5 over the Series X. Now, let's go talk about the meat and potatoes of the game and its gameplay. Now, gamers, we go to the core part of any game, which is its gameplay. Now, Resident Evil 8, it is obviously the eighth mainline series entry, but it is also very different than many of the other previous Resident Evil games in the series, minus Resident Evil 7, who is its closest, most recent sibling. It is obviously a first-person survival horror title, but the biggest thing I would say that describes this gameplay perfectly is a Metroidvania style. And the reason I say that is because it's set up just like those Metroidvania games are where you have one central area, kind of like a hub area, and there are multiple areas in and around that hub area that you have to go through each, in a sense, stage or area to acquire new abilities or items to access newer areas or those other extended areas from that hub. 
And as you gain different upgrades or weapons or keys or whatever the items may be in certain areas and then make your way past the boss and back into that main hub to advance to the next area, it's just a really good feeling of progression for me. I just I have always loved that feeling of progression when playing a Metroid or a Castlevania. I love it. And it does a great job in this game, I think, more than any other Resident Evil game has in the past of kind of giving you that sense of just accomplishment as you progress throughout the course of the game. Now, Resident Evil 7 kind of started it. It's very similar to Resident Evil 7 in the sense that 7 was all about the Baker family, and each Baker family member had kind of its own themed area that you would go towards. But I would say that Resident Evil Village expands on that concept and really just kind of explodes into much more larger areas to really maximize the potential of this concept, especially within a Resident Evil survival horror setting. Now, the inventory management, as is the case in any survival horror game, is crucial to the gameplay, and it's all about utilizing what items you have, combining items when you need to, and managing that item storage space. Now, they don't have the good old crate that you can store items in, as is in the case with most old Resident Evil titles. So you're really going to have to make sure you save up enough money, which is called lay in the game, in order to purchase the upgrade. In my opinion, every time you see a new upgrade pop up when you go to the Duke, which is where you have your commerce aspect of the game... I would highly recommend as soon as you see it and as soon as you got the lay amount that is required to purchase that upgrade to upgrade your suitcase, so to speak, to give you more room constantly as you're going throughout the course of the game. Because, of course, as you find the sniper rifle or the shotgun or different kinds of items and all kinds of different things you can find on your journey here, you're going to need that space. Trust me. And I am very much against just dropping items randomly and leaving them. I hate the sense of wastefulness that comes from that. So item management is crucial. I will say that crafting makes an appearance in this game. And I was very happy with the crafting system that was here. Now, as you are exploring the world, you'll pick up different pieces of scrap metal and all kinds of different items that allow you to craft ammo and your healing items and different types of mines and grenades and different things of that nature. So all kinds of different items for you to craft here and plenty of different resources available to you that you'll find in your journey. They can be dropped by enemies or just randomly found throughout the course of your journey. There are also breakable jars and crates that will have items, whether it's ammo or health or resources for you in crafting. The upgrade system that has returned in this game for the weapons that you can partake some joy in, that is actually a really well done system. But I will say that I felt like it's all done through, as is most of these things, the Duke, which is essentially the merchant or this game's version of the merchant from Resident Evil 4. Fan favorite. Personally loved them as well. But the Duke is awesome. Let me just put that out there. I loved the Duke. I thought he was a great character as far as uh, just being a merchant in the game. Just always a very interesting scene whenever you came across a new Duke location. But it's through the Duke that you can upgrade your different weapons. And the only thing I would say that I didn't like about the upgrade system was the cost. I felt like certain things and certain upgrades, especially earlier on in the upgrade cycle of a weapon, I felt kind of increased and, and were a little bit too expensive 
in some ways. But ultimately, by the end of the game, I did feel that there were enough opportunities and options for you to acquire lay that if you really managed your money right, you could have some pretty powerful weapons by the end of the game. So not too bad for the upgrade system on your weapons. Now, I will say one new thing for the series that I really enjoyed about this game was there was an upgrade system brought in for your character. So you could upgrade your health, your defense, and your stamina. So you do have the option to raise your arm in defense and kind of absorb a little bit of damage that you would otherwise just completely take uh, within this game. And you have the opportunity to upgrade that blockage. And you can also obviously just your base health and your stamina so you can move at a faster pace as you explore the village. I did think that these were uh, fairly rationed out as far as the quantity of what you needed to upgrade these different stats for your character of Ethan Winters. And I will say that is one thing that I thought was really cool about how you upgraded these stats, which is, in a sense, kind of hunting and fishing. So there are different meals that the Duke can cook for you. But in order for him to cook these, you have to have a certain quantity of each type of meat and fish. And spread throughout the world of village, there are different ponds or specific areas of water that house certain fish. And some are special hidden fish or rare fish, if you will, that are required for certain dishes. Same thing with the meat. Sometimes there are rare animals that you'll find based on certain pictures that show you their locations that you have to kind of figure out where they are in Village's world and then go track them down if you really want to get that specific dish made for you by the Duke. So I just thought this was some fun that was a new addition to the game and to the series, and I, I just really enjoyed it. I will say that combat in general in this game is very much focused on shooting, and there is some melee, but as I explained in the control section, I felt melee was kind of weak and should definitely be a last resort in this game. The gunplay, I thought, was really well done, and as you can hotkey which weapons, whatever your choices are, to your D-pad options, up, down, left, right, I thought it worked really well. Uh, the fluidity of changing between weapons, the reload speed, especially since reload speed is kind of up to you based on your upgrades and how you upgrade your weapons. In general, I thought it was really well done, the throwable items, as in grenades or dynamite sticks or mines that you can set for enemies to walk into, all that was really well done. Uh, as far as healing, it was pretty quick and responsive if you press that R1 button on the PlayStation to heal. So I never really had any issues with combat. Sometimes, yeah, sure, you have moments of feeling overwhelmed where there was lots of lichens coming at you. But the game also was pretty generous in its placement of explodable barrels and different hazardous environmental things that you could do to affect the enemies in bulk or in mass. So I thought that was well done. Puzzles, obviously they make a return. You can't have a survival horror or Resident Evil game without having your puzzles. I thought they were really well done and a lot of fun to figure out, the ones that were here in this game. None of them I ever felt were way too difficult or obnoxiously difficult or hard to figure out. Some of them, maybe you sit there or I sat there for a few minutes at a time, but for the most part, I would say that they were pretty standard Resident Evil fare, to be honest, and I appreciated that. Uh, and then ultimately, when it comes to gameplay, we can't not talk about the boss fights because ever since the original Resident Evil, when you had that boss fight in the attic with the giant snake and the boss fight at the end of the tyrant, Boss fights have been a staple of the Resident Evil series, and they've always been pretty memorable, to me at least. 
And that's no different with this game. They did an amazing job of doing the boss fights and the way that they each have their own pretty massive boss fight arena is what I'll call it. And obviously it's very old school. I love the old school gaming aspect of trying to find a boss's pattern or the weak spot or whatever the case may be, whatever it is. I love figuring that out and really just kind of tearing up the boss once you figure out that pattern. And it's a lot of fun. All the bosses in the game are a lot of fun. Most of them feel pretty epic to them too. And that was an added plus to any boss fight if it just feels massively epic and you just really accomplish something once you defeat that boss. So gameplay overall, extremely solid in this game. The only thing I would say is some combat every now and then can get a little bit choppy and that inventory management with your overlapping of items, eh, not so well executed. But in general, loved the gameplay this game had to offer. Now let's go check out a new segment in my reviews going forward where I go and deep dive into the photo mode. When talking about any game's photo mode, there are a few specifics that I look for in every one of them. And the first of those is accessibility. How easy is it to get in and out of a game's photo mode? Well, in Resident Evil 8, I would say that unfortunately, it follows a two-step process when I feel that a one-step process is really the preferred method of gaining access to that mode. So with Resident Evil, you have to pause and then you select photo mode to go into it. Whereas I feel like, especially with the PS5 and the DualSense controller having that share or capture icon button, the Xbox having the share button, why can't we just have it a one-step process? Why do we have to actually pause the game and then go into photo mode? Or give me an option like Miles Morales, where you can you know, put it as a hotkey on your D-pad, and I can just press the left button on the D-pad, and boom, I'm in photo mode. I don't have to pause the game. Now, I did not see that option in Resident Evil 8, so therefore the accessibility was a bit limiting. Next up, we have camera control, and I personally love to have free reign of the camera and all movements to find that perfect perspective, and unfortunately, the camera control is very tight. It's not as loose as I prefer the camera to be, nor did it have a good range, in my opinion, when you are trying to zoom in on different uh, locations in your picture or frame. I just didn't think they did a good job with camera control. Now, I will say lighting and filtering within the game. It also was pretty generic when it came to the lighting options, what you pretty much would see standard in any game's photo mode nowadays. I will say the filters, though, impressed me, and I thought they did a good job of what they actually added to your photo. Most game photo modes, in my opinion, the filter options don't really do much for you, or they hamper the photo by just, say, if you choose green, it just makes the whole picture green. Whereas in Village, if you actually pay attention to the colors in the environment and you mold that filter, if you choose to use it around those colors, it actually does make a difference in a positive way. As far as emotes and expressions and characters and what you can do with those options within photo mode in this game, there aren't any. Because unfortunately, even though other first-person shooter games have the photo mode option to pan the camera around and see your character that you're playing as in the third person and see that character model, that is not an option in this game, and that really was disappointing. So therefore, there were no options for emotes on Ethan Winters or different poses or expressions. 
The game does have some interesting frames as far as options in this photo mode, but they were very minimal, and I didn't really think they were that great to begin with, to be honest. The themes or having the logo available, that's always a plus. But again, pretty basic and standard of any photo mode nowadays. I would say overall, when I rate a game's photo mode from now on in my reviews, what I'll be looking at as far as my grading structure is work of art, which is the top of the line photo mode, a collector's piece, which is kind of an average grade, or is it a blank canvas? You need to start over and go back to the drawing board and figure it out. So for me, I would say that Resident Evil 8 ended up being right in the middle. I would say it was more of a collector's piece than anything else. There were some good things about it, but there were also some bad things about it that I didn't like. So I'd say it lands right there in the middle. Uh, it needs some work between now and Resident Evil 9, I think. And if we can improve on some of these areas that I mentioned, I personally think that they could have the opportunity to have a great photo mode in Resident Evil 9. So now let's go check out the ship's chronometer to find out how much time I spent playing the game and how much time you may spend playing the game depending on your playstyle. If you're looking to focus solely on the story in Resident Evil 8 Village, it's not going to take you too long. I would estimate that if it's strictly story, 10 to 12 hours is probably what you could expect to play. Now, if you are planning on doing some of the side stuff and doing some exploration as you go through with the story as your main piece of pie, I would guesstimate probably 12 to 15 hours is what you would take to get to those closing credits. Now, if you were going for 100% as you played through that story for your first playthrough, I'm going to say 25 hours roughly is what you should be expecting to spend within this world. Now, if you're going for 100% of story, as well as mercenaries, as well as replaying it with different difficulties and trying to go for that platinum trophy on the PS5 or all thousand gamer score on the Xbox, I would say you could probably spend upwards of 50 hours on this game trying to do everything. And then let's be real, as far as different score attacks and different multiplayer aspects and the competitive aspect of mercenaries, you could technically play this game kind of forever. But... From a strict hour standpoint, I would say if you're trying to do everything this game has to offer in its package initially and get all thousand of those gamer score points and all of your trophies with that platinum on top, roughly 50 hours. Now let's go see what my final thoughts are. In closing, I would like to start with my negative points first. And leading those points off is going to be the fact that Enemies in this game just overall felt a little bit bullet spongy. It just seemed like there was a little bit too much effort needed to take uh, most of these guys down. I did feel that also from a visual standpoint, some of the exterior environments were way off from what they were showcasing on the interior environments. And then even there was an inconsistency with the exterior environments themselves. Some look better than others. Also, from an audio standpoint, some of the dialogue and the voice acting was just a little rough. Uh, the dialogue was also cheesy in a lot of the different exchanges. Uh, I will say that I did feel that there was no jump option and it's not a game breaker for me but I felt like the game was lacking for not having it there was just a few different vertical areas that could have utilized that jump button and added a different level of gameplay options to this title I also felt that when you try to combine items in your luggage case it was very cumbersome and not very well explained and even though I'm following the prompts of how to combine items within your inventory it was not working. I felt like they could have done a better job of combining items or having the game itself 
automatically default by like items like healing items or herbs or the like ammo combining in and of themselves. Now, the ultimate negative for me is this game just ultimately did not feel like a classic Resident Evil title to me. It just felt very foreign from a Resident Evil perspective. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I have to have T-viruses and G-viruses and zombies for it to be Resident Evil. There was just a very big departure in what I feel should be or is considered in my mind a Resident Evil title. As someone who's followed the series since the late 90s, uh, it's something that I look for in each entry. Now, I will say, on the positive end of things, I did love the fantasy elements that Capcom brought into the Resident Evil franchise with werewolves, witches, and vampires. I thought it was great the way that they explained how these entities exist within this world. I love that. I also loved the Metroidvania approach to the overall world and that sense of progression that it gave me throughout my entire playthrough. The leveling up in the commerce systems were great as well, and the Duke was awesome. Very similar to Resident Evil 4's Merchant as far as the weapon and item upgrades and selling treasures. But I did love the addition in this game of having a health, defense, and stamina upgrade. And how you did it. I actually, believe it or not, as minimal and crazy as it may sound, I loved the meat and fishing aspect of upgrading your personal stats for Ethan Winters. And ultimately... There was just some truly unnerving and terrifying moments in this game, especially in Castle Dimitrescu. So overall, I thoroughly enjoyed this experience and will give Resident Evil Village a final score of 8.5 out of 10. That'll do it for my review of Resident Evil 8. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming and on Twitter at lostatseagamin1. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.